Yeah, so one thing led to another, and uh, Bob and I decided we're going to leave IBM. We were 26 years old. We had seven kids. We had a great job. From Vermont Center for Emerging Technologies, it's Start Here, a podcast sharing the stories of active, aspiring, and accidental entrepreneurs. Serial entrepreneur Rich Tarrant Sr. visits today to share the IDX story and once and for all tell us why he quit the comforts of an IBM career for the great unknown when starting IDX. Welcome, this is Sam Roach-Gerber and Dave Bradbury recording from the Fairpoint Tech Hub in downtown Burlington, Vermont. Hey, Rich, how's it going? It's going great. Nice to see you guys. Thanks so much for coming by. Welcome. Happy to have you. My pleasure. Um, So me being the flatlander that I am and having very little knowledge of uh, the successful business world around me, um, what is IDX? And how did it start? What was it, you mean? What was it? Let's, yeah, let's, <laughs> let's get the timeline right still, here. It still exists spiritually. Spiritually. But, uh, and In we our have reunions and, every so often. Our but, hearts and uh, minds. Yeah. But uh, as when it was a public company and we got the offer, we couldn't refuse, uh, given that it was a public company at the time, uh, the right thing to do is to, to sell it, even though it was a hard thing to do. But to answer your question, going back, you know, I was working with IBM, as was my partner, Bob Hale, at the time. And I honestly didn't know anybody that had a business. I never knew a business person growing up. We grew up in a low-income area of New Jersey. I'm a flatlander, too. And uh, we didn't know people that owned businesses. We didn't even know them. Yeah. No, not one. Except for this candy store I hung out in in the corner. <laughs> <laughs> but... Um, so when uh, I got to IBM and spent a few years at IBM, was great training. I never had a business course in college either. Never, not one business or accounting course. What did you study? Mathematics. And so I got a job at IBM as a salesman and um, worked there for about three and a half years. And since in Vermont selling computer, then it was data processing systems, occasionally a computer, real computer, but in a different world. You'd, you'd meet a lot of people that own businesses because that's who we sold to when we were trained to get to the CEO or the founder or the owner or whatever it happened to be. And I must have met hundred, hundreds of business people around the state in those three and a half years traveling around trying to sell them equipment. And the more I met them, the more I learned. And the more I learned, the more I liked their lifestyle or not necessarily because they were wealthy, but just because they were calling the shots and they had creative ideas and uh, no bureaucracy, general, I mean, small business. And I got to really appreciate and enjoy because back then, entrepreneurialism wasn't a big deal. I mean, I don't think the word was even there then. No, you, know, you hardly ever heard it. Yeah, well, the old joke was, uh, I couldn't spell entrepreneur, and now I are one. <laughs> <laughs> but, That's awesome. But, you know, so one thing led to another, and uh, Bob and I decided we we're going to leave IBM. We were 26 years old. We had seven kids. We had a great job, good money at then. Selling IBM computers in those days was a good job, really good. It wasn't yep. working up at the plant. I mean, they were good jobs too, but the salespeople made the money. And uh, we left. We had $12,000 between us and seven kids. We had no customers and no products. So that was so the dumbest what, thing I've ever done. 
yeah, yeah. Why'd you have the vision to say now? Let's let's do it because some might have called it a hallucination given those circumstances. Oh my god, yeah. I mean, everybody thought I was nuts. What 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 was the push? Yeah, I don't know. I just wanted to do it. it just was time. Right? <laughs> I mean, you know, what? date on a calendar. We're done. Yeah. Well, I watched uh, a company called ADP, still in existence, and uh, I never forget uh, this founder ADP said, uh, and Kentucky Fried Chicken had just come around then too. And he made this comment uh, in the newspaper about just stand on a corner of Wall Street and yell Kentucky Fried Computers and they'll bury you with money. Because he had just gone public and made a ton of money and Kentucky Fried had just come Kentucky out. Fried Kentucky computers. Fried Computers. And, and it, it kind of caught my eye. And um, and so we made the leap. Yeah, and... Um was it critical that, that you had Bob Hale, too? Could, could you ever foresee being a go-it-alone entrepreneur or having a partner? Was that really? Okay, you get into the fact that people used to call us the smart one and the dumb one, and I was not the smart one. Is that your point? <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's Christmas, Rich. I'm not, we're not going there. Right? <laughs> yeah. I, it was comforting, yes. It was very comforting, especially because he really was the, the computer. I was more of the sales side, and he was the computer guy, and he was so good. It was so good. So it was very comforting too, as we were both in the same boat and knew we had a, you know, we had to put food on the table and we didn't have much time to Failure do it. Failure was not an option. I mean, we, we talk a lot with, uh, we have almost 300 startup teams that we meet with every year here at VSET all around Vermont. It's, it's crazy, the number. And we always kind of look toward this team and do they have a, a hipster, a hacker and a hustler? <laughs> all right. The hustler sells it. Yeah. The hipster is really sort of UI and what the product is about. Must yeah. I covet this and have it? And then the hacker builds it. Yeah. So you you definitely fit the hustler category. I think Bob Hale was the hacker. And, yeah. and yeah. Uh, were you also the hipster? Um, maybe on weekends. <laughs> and maybe on weekends. Perfect, perfect. So I got to ask, like, I mean, we one of the biggest things we talk about with um, with our entrepreneurs all the time is, is selling and how big that is when you start a company and you having a background in sales, I, I think would be hugely important in starting this business. Can you talk a little bit about the importance? There? Absolutely. People come to me fairly frequently about advice, starting business. And sometimes that advice really means investing and, uh, but that's okay. And the first thing I ask them is how they're going to sell it. And I'll never forget this one time, this young guy came in and he sat down, never met him before. And I said, nice to meet you. How are you going to sell it? He said, how am I going to sell it? I said, yeah. He said, don't you want to know what it is? I said, I don't care what it is. How are you going to sell it? And he couldn't answer the question. I said, okay, I want you to think about that. A week from today, same time, we'll meet. I want you to come in and tell me how you're going to sell it. I don't care what it is you have. Because that's what they all miss. Not they all, the ones that miss. It's mostly because... They thought the market was there because it was a cool thing and everybody will want it. And maybe true, everybody will want it, but you got to get to the person, not only who wants it, but who can write the check. And there's such a huge difference, such a big difference between those who want it and those who can write the check and make the final decision. Decision maker, yeah. That's the one that everybody misses. So seven days later, did this person uh, have an idea how to sell it? Was it He came back or? and... Uh, Yes, he did. And he wasn't a salesperson by trade, so it wasn't a huckster type of thing. It's sometimes painful to listen to that person he, try to sell, right? He, well, that's true. But he, um, he, he got it, more importantly. Good. 
And that's, I mean, that's, I didn't I'm, expect him to come back and be a salesman, right. but he came back and he got the message. And that's why I do it so perfunctly and so brutally. I've done it a lot. Well, that sort of leads into building the right team, you know, finding yourself a salesman if it's not you. Correct. But the lead guy's got to be able to do some selling. It doesn't have to be the huckster, but he or she needs to be ready to make the call on the key people. Yeah, I would, I would, that, that's so important because you're always selling something, right? Always. You're trying to sell your vision to maybe recruit someone to join your team. And, you know, one of the things we look for, particularly those solo founders, is have you talked someone else out of quitting their well paying, comfortable position to leap into this new thing? That's a sale. Yes, it sure or, is. I'm going to sell a piece of my company maybe to investors. That's another sale. And then you have the commercial sales as well. So it's. I had a guy yesterday um, who you might even know. I won't mention it. Uh, and he kept saying, I'm not a salesman. I'm not a salesman. But he was a good salesman. You know, he was a good salesman. He knew he knew the buttons T- to push. Takes one to know one, right? Uh, yeah. He knew what he was doing. But he kept saying, I'm not a salesman. So, Rich, uh, yeah, you're an athlete, right? And And... Coming from sort of team sports and, and competitive sports, how did that sort of shape your perspective as part of your management style or the types of people you wanted on your on your team? Well, I remember how I got the job at IBM. I walked into the regional manager in Boston, district manager in Boston, IBM, and I asked this, and he ran all of New England. So I think this is where I learned to sell. Um, I said, can I see Joe Smith? And she said, do you have an appointment? I said, no. She said, well, he's the district manager. I said, you need an appointment. I said, yeah, but I didn't know I was going to get cut by the Celtics this morning. She said, what? <laughs> I said, I was with the Celtics until this morning, and I don't need a job. She said, hold on a minute. The guy comes down, shakes my hand, says, come on in. And, and he committed. And I told him my academic record and all. He committed that I could have a sales job in Vermont if I wanted it. That's awesome. Timing's so, everything, right? But that's how athletics helped me. Uh, so it's really but, all thanks to the Boston Celtics. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, but in terms of being an athlete, how does it impact it's competition? I mean, competition is competition. It makes you want to do it, whether it's shooting free throws at midnight because your free, free throws weren't good that, that day, or whether it's working, burning the midnight hour candle for work. It's, it's competition that pushes people. And most good athletes, all good athletes are competitive as hell. And hungry. And teamwork is, teamwork is big too. You learn teamwork in athletics. And I especially like athletics that are teams versus individual because, because of the teamwork thing. And maybe that's self explanatory. Sam is our collegiate athlete here at VSET. What sport? The dabbled. Field hockey. Oh, really? Yeah. My daughter played field hockey. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. yeah. It's a good sport. So um, I, I don't think we ever said what IDX actually built and sold. So maybe just briefly, what what business? It was enterprise healthcare. Well, we started, um, I was a manufacturing distribution salesman at IDX, I mean at IBM, and my partner was the government sales and service. So we went into healthcare. but we started back then it was so long ago 1969 it was so long ago that the expense in computerization was the hardware not the software now hardware is commodity the idea was to share the hardware among many people 
And we would write the software. Bob Hale would write a program, an app now, in a couple of days, and depending on what I sold. I mean, I would sell the shoe stores, oil companies, manufacturing. I had, we were selling anything that, anything, because the economy was in use and sharing the hardware. So, uh, and we learned by about 1971 uh, that that was impossible because we had so many computer programs and, and tough uh, to scale it, maintain it. Oh yeah, maintain it. It's, yeah, and we had to specialize in something. We and we looked around Burlington. We were called Burlington Data Processing then. We looked around Burlington, and we said, "This is a healthcare town. I mean, this is the university and the medical center and the docs." And so we decided to specialize in healthcare, and we got into doctor billing. And probably the thing that really kicked us off was in 1972. We figured out how to bill, send doctor bills to insurance companies electronically. No paper in 1972. Dun, dun, dun. And we got, and got payments back electronically. No paper in 1972. And once we got that working, we just went right across the country. Right into healthcare. Did the other stuff you just peeled off. Oh, yeah. 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 That just, I mean, that was unheard of. Still not, still not done. In many cases. So that's so we got to be a specialist, but we were still sharing hardware. And one of the things that helped us is one of our customers, having SuperTemp, had a three IBM 360 computer. They didn't use it at night. And as the sales their salesman, we were good friends. And I asked them if I could buy second shift computer time for ten dollars an hour. <laughs> Gosh. So we had a computer for ten dollars an hour. That we were doing transactions at night to get paid the next day, yeah. and uh, yeah, so that's kind of how you know. So is that an accidental entrepreneur? A lot of ways it was because we didn't have a business plan. So do you give? Is that because you're a, a very acute listener? I mean, you know, you, you hear about active listening, right? To, to find these, or to just go and say, "I have a problem. I need to solve this." Well, we're talking or about it? listening to business people. Yeah, My wife and, would not say I was an active <laughs> listener, but. <laughs> But yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, we'll stick to the business stuff. But in terms of just knowing that someone might have uh, this this IBM computer idle at night, you know, how did did you know to ask, or was it a, was it because you were listening and engaged with folks day in and day out through conversation that that they said, "Geez, I don't do anything at night." No, I, um, you know, it's a good, I don't remember. I don't really remember. But we were so close to the executives up there that you know we were just friends and. Well, I think we had the idea to leave IBM before we knew that we could get the computer for that price. And then just through the years, so IDX, it grew here. You grew it, you know, organically um, as a company. And, and what, how many people did it grow to be? And, and what, do you recall sort of what the sales were maybe about in the time that GE Healthcare came along? Yeah, um, when GE came along, we were we were about 620 million uh, annual sales. Most of that was recurring revenue too. Which there's, it's like the original SaaS model, right? Yeah, yes, yeah. exactly, exactly. It was almost all recurring revenue. The recurring was is a sweet business. Living the dream, I was gonna yeah. say. You know, you start the month off that you got X. Now you just got to get up to X plus. It's easier two. to grow that way. Easier to grow and easier to maintain the revenue, especially when you go public. Mm. Which is, of course, a whole different story. Um, but the most people we had, we had 5,000 people at one time, but that was because we bought a company of transcriptionists. People are doing transcript, medical is this all transcription. Scripts? No, no, it was somebody else. Somebody else it was edX, actually, D I X, believe it or not. 
Um, and uh, so we had a couple thousand uh, people at home with keying in just transcribing transcription yep. and. That didn't work out so well. Is that business still around, or, oh, or, or, around do, or do or do docs and, and nurses do this at the point of care well, now on a, a tablet? Is it is it a little of both? A little of both. Yeah, yeah, a little of both. And at Marathon Health, which of course is you know my company, um, the the medical record that allows it to do it that way is very sophisticated. I mean, it's very sophisticated. But getting back to the point, we then sold edX off. At a profit, we sold it for a lot more than we bought it for, but that was never our intent. Our intent was to merge that into our big electronic record system. Um, so then we were back down to about 2,500 people. 2,500, and it was 1,400 of those here in Vermont, no, you think? No, 600. It, oh, 600, was yeah. it? Yeah. And um, it was probably 600 in Seattle, maybe 400 in Seattle, 800 in Boston, was that They're how did that come about? Was it was it just because you you couldn't find people? Was it more of you were hiring so many, or or was it important to be closer to customers around the more country? the latter geography, yeah, yeah. geography, definitely. Um, and they were sales offices and service offices. All the technology came out of Burlington and Boston and Seattle too. So we, the reason we got to Seattle is we did buy a company that was headquartered in Seattle. So those became our three hubs, and then we have branch offices, regional offices, and probably three or four or five other places around the country. Yeah, and um, we uh, we also work real hard to try to build boards for companies and find people, the advisory boards or board of directors, and maybe talk about how, how you approached the IDX board and, and how you found different people that you felt could add value or folks like Alan Martin, for example, right. or the, uh, the doctor, uh, I'm blanking on his name. Tufo. Yeah. Tufo from the hospital. Well, I mean, yeah. yeah. What, how did, you know, what was sort of your philosophy well, around First that? of all, we didn't really have a real board until we went public. I mean, the fact is it was us that get sitting around the table, my partner and I, and a couple of other people that just, cause you had to have a board. I mean, we were, <laughs> we were making decisions. <laughs> But when we went public, of course, you had to have a real board with outside directors and so forth. And Alan Martin was a healthcare lawyer and a friend. I had been, you know, as my position at the medical center, I got to know him fairly well on the, when I was on the board up there. And um, Henry Tufo actually was an employee of ours previously at one time before he retired. So we brought him back on the board. And then we had um, someone who had a consulting company and it was well known around the country. And we had um, a professor from Brandeis who was on the CMS board or Medicare. Okay, so in domain relevance. Yeah, we looked for people that had different aspects uh, of healthcare. And it was interesting because that everybody wanted to be on our board. I mean, you didn't have, nobody was, nobody said no because we were, we were red hot at the time and just gone public. And um, so we had a really good board. Yeah. 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 Fantastic. Folks, I mean, Alan Martin was uh, a friend of mine, is a friend of mine, and, and an angel investor in one of the companies I was involved in. And through thick and thin, yeah. what a, yeah. what an outstanding yeah. individual! Great and guy. I learned so so much. Yeah, he's great. And so, IDX sold to GE Healthcare 
Did you just go to the beach and get out of town? Just uh, how, how did you sort of? I wish I did. I could have saved a lot of money running for a U.S. senator. Oh, oh that, yeah, oh that, yeah. Right. yeah. I should have gone to the beach. Yeah, you should have gone to the beach. Perfect, perfect. I forgot. Yeah. Yes. Well, I, I was a supporter, Rich. So. Oh, you were the other boat. I was the other boat. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> totally. Totally. Um, no, I, it, I rolled it right into that, which it did go right in. Okay, I didn't yeah. know. I didn't know whether sometimes people need a clean break and they just sort of disappear no, for six I months. Rolled right, no, I rolled into that, and that was really helpful. And I mean, I'm so, selling your baby is not easy. You know, you have 35 years of building it from two people to what it became. Yeah. So, uh, rolling into something as intense as a campaign was actually good for me. Good so dirt, I, yeah, totally except diversion. for yep. the one time we were headed south. Uh, in the van and and it happened to be the day we go by the IDX building and they're changing the letters to GE. Oh my God. You know, you only go south maybe once a week and you go west. So you just got something in your eye, right? You weren't actually crying. It was just... (laughs) Well, I wasn't crying, but uh, (laughs) I had plenty of other things to cry about then. Um, Oh. And then um, after IDX sold to GE, I mean, it was such a monumental... Uh, sale in our parts. It was it was over a billion dollars. It you had such a in depth team of of leaders and people that some stayed with GE, others transitioned out pretty shortly, and then went on to found other companies or yeah. become angel investors or to to do public service. Guys like Brian Otley, for example, yeah. you know he he spent two years helping us, uh, helping me and Dave Coates and others on the and Mary Powell with the Efficiency Institute, trying to help state government and. And yeah. you know what a what a game changer you know that that sort of event was when you look at buildings around yeah. campuses that have been built and and scholarships and this next generation. Do you, do you kind of feel as good about that as do as anything? And I never even thought about that that might be one of the consequences of selling. But it's the people that we had were so good. And now I see them seeding other organizations, either founders or top employers. And, you know, they're, it's just amazing. They're all over the place. It's, it's like these ants that are popping up and smarter than hell yeah, and it's good a, people. A and, great, it's a great ecosystem yeah, sign. And, yeah. and, you know, more recently, you know, you've seen it with Green Mountain Coffee Roasters or Keurig. That that liquidity event and talent pool. There's IDXers that, there. At, absolutely. At dealer.com, yeah. again, another yeah. one. And do you think there's any chance in Vermont we'll have these more frequently than every 10 or 12 years? <laughs> That's a good question. Um, that's a good question. I think what you're doing and others like you are a big, big boost that that could happen. Uh, but it's hard. You know, you got all the place, things have to fall into place. I mean, we didn't plan all that to happen. I didn't sit down in 1969 and say, this is what we're going to do in 20,000, 2000. I want to know what we do tomorrow. I mean, and in that regard, a lot of people talk about, well, the taxes are not good in Vermont. An entrepreneur doesn't give a damn about taxes. They give a damn about breaking even. Right. And after you break even, then you worry about taxes. It's a high-class problem to yeah, have a, a tax yeah, bill. Yeah, right. exactly. It's a first-world problem, as my son would say. <laughs> um, and so I think too many states or places make use the tax thing as a disincentive. They're saying, oh, the tax situation is bad in Vermont. Well, it is. But entrepreneurs don't care. They're not making money yet. Mm-hmm. They care after they're successful. But a tax thing, it doesn't discourage. 
entrepreneurs. So just sticking with that theme for a second, is it is it more uh, a proximity to customer, do you think, or or proximity to larger talent pools to, to hire from that, that maybe is the impediment? I All the above. I mean, when above. you're in Vermont, it's like you're hard to get anywhere. And don't get me wrong, the airlines are great and so forth, but... Chicago's where the action is. LA's where the action is. New York, I mean, Atlanta. I mean, that's where the action is. So you're starting off um, in a place that has a lot going for it, especially the universities. Right. And we could, I mean, this university is amazing. Um, but it's, a, it's, it's harder to start in something in Vermont. It's harder to get it going. Get it going. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah, because yeah. you know we've we've been watching sort of the the Kaufman Institute or Kaufman Foundation rather puts out statistics, and we were Vermont was ranked number five I think in the country for entrepreneurial startups per capita, right? Yeah. Um, but we were toward the bottom, you know, in the last ten or so for companies of fifty people and above that mm-hmm. sort of scale. Yeah. And I think that's yeah, that next yeah. sort of problem set that, you know, VSED and, and other partners, the University of Vermont, Middlebury College, Champlain, we're all trying to figure out how do we push a couple of these to the next forward? Level. Yeah. Well, it's, I think the biggest thing in what I call moving from an entrepreneurial firm to a professionally managed firm is the way I, where I use it, but it's scaling and I don't know if this is indicative of Vermont, but so many entrepreneurs make the mistake. Well, they, when they start a company, usually the, the, the founder can do everything. He can sell, he can make the product, he can do the accounting, largely because he or she has to. Um, and if you get someone that's like that and doesn't realize that they have to delegate and build a team, oh, yeah. they tend not to because they're trained and they're, they, they, I can do it all, I can do it all. And and they tend to hire helpers. So somebody, an entrepreneur that's a good salesperson, he'll hire a sales helper or service. He'll hire a service helper, but he's going to report to me. I used to make a, an only half joke. Everybody that reported to me at IDX was smarter than me. Every single one could do their job better than I could, every one of them. And we tried to inculcate that throughout the organization. It's the greatest inverted pyramid scheme you could have. If everybody is better than the person they report to, holy cow. I mean, wow. And so often that doesn't happen. And I'm in, I have a company now where I've got that problem. Now, this company is it's unusual, but it's a scientist who's a CEO. And, but I know that company can only get so big because I know how he, he manages. He's run other companies and at 60 or 70 people, he's topped out. Now, I got a plan for that, but, um, and it just to give you an example, we were on a phone call recently, and we have a someone in, an employee in Canada who reports to someone who reports to my CEO. And he was saying he's going to put a grant in to get some greenhouse gas money, blah, 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 in the Canadian government. And on the call, my CEO says, I won't be able to fly spec that until at least Tuesday. And I'm thinking... You, he reports to someone else who reports to you, but it was so instinctive that he'd have to look at that grant and read it over. So I didn't say anything then, but when we hung, I said, yeah, 
you got to figure out how to scale. Here. Yeah, 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 yeah. So it's a tough transition. A Some can't deal. do it. Oh, it's Some a can't big do deal. It. And it's either a conscious choice. I don't want a middle layer of management, perhaps, or that that death grip you have on like the bike handlebars. You know, yeah, I do a lot of mountain biking, and I, yeah. you gotta you gotta have a little loose grip. Yeah, I challenge people to find. Don't not hire helpers. Do not hire someone that's helping you. Hire experts. Hire somebody who can really do it better than you could. For whatever reason. Totally. <laughs> so, Rich, uh, you've done some uh, startups since IDX, um, and maybe we could just introduce Marathon Health and just describe what that is. That's sure. over in uh, Winooski, uh, in the Champlain Mill. And yeah. why did you think that was a high potential area? Well, it's probably accidental. <laughs> Another accidental, yeah. <laughs> well, what happened is when the reason I ran for U.S. Senate is because of healthcare. I had an idea and a plan for healthcare, and we we're putting it together. And the more I thought about it, I said, "This is not just for politics. This thing will really work. This will work." Start a company. So we started Marathon Health, and wow, it is awesome. It's growing so fast. And what does it do? It it work. It's worksite healthcare. So we put nurses, doctors, um, uh, medical assistants, physician assistants, whatever the case may be, into work sites all over the United States. And, yeah, they do the primary care and all that stuff. But most importantly, they manage chronic risk and chronic disease because that's where the money is. Seventy percent of healthcare money is in chronic disease. All the other stuff is noise. Seventy percent. Seventy percent is ten wow. percent of the people. 10 to 15% of the people who have some chronic disease and don't know how. The system is so bad at managing complex diseases because we got doctors and hospitals are all over the place and we, we bounce these really sick patients from one place to the other. And that's, that's the key and that's what we really focus on. And we are saving money. We are saving healthcare dollars that you wouldn't believe at, to, for employers and co- patient care, the quality. Patients love it. The quality is so high, and it's just such a home run, it's hard to believe. Outstanding. It's hard and, to believe. And then um, how many folks are employed there now, do you, do you oh, think? about 450. 450 They're across the country? rapidly, right? Yeah. Well, I think we weren't we the fastest-growing company in Vermont in the last um, – um, last survey, I think. Well, I'm not going to tell you you weren't. So yeah, I, know, I thought. It was. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good to us. Sounds yeah. good to us. Yeah, and I then, think it was something like that. But um, yeah, we have uh, probably 300. Well, let's see, about 375 of those are clinicians. clinicians. We got 75 here in headquarters. Do, do you consider Marathon a, a technology company, or is it a is it a services? It's company? more of a service company, even though our technology is it's baked into it's, the yeah, offering. It's right? better than anybody's because we had. IDXers building it. Hmm. And so the technology, the medical record stuff, and this. And uh, it was reported too, you, you sold off a, a, a small chunk to Goldman Sachs. Mm-hmm. What? How come? <laughs> Why not all of it? <laughs> well, I don't, we didn't want it. We wouldn't sell all of yep. it. And a lot of people have been coming to us. When Goldman came, we thought, hmm, that's a message. When you can go out, now Vermont, we're a small startup, Vermont. And and that's always something you got to sell. You're in California. You say oh, you're in Vermont. Yeah, but we're blah, yeah, blah, blah, yeah, blah, but, yeah, but yeah. And um, and we had pretty much overcome that because of our growth and our references. But still, when Goldman Sachs 
And you can say Goldman Sachs is a partner. That's a big deal. That, what that did is open up a higher level of bigger companies that were interested. Okay, so it grew your potential market. Yes. Gotcha. Yeah, that was a big deal. We didn't need the cash. We were very profitable. But that's why we did it. So Marathon Health, you you, you talked about uh, the power company. And then um, the the other companies are, I guess, maybe back up. What's it take? Like, what's a great pitch when an angel or for an angel investment? When a, when a young entrepreneur comes to you and you've probably said no 400 times and said yes three times or, or four times. But what sort of bubbled it up to, wow, I get it. Well, primarily, I mean, the two major companies are, are Plasma Power and Marathon Health. The others were investor, you know, angel yep. investors. The two that I founded along with a partner – the two, those are the ones that are really soaring. Versus the so, passive hands-off. Yeah, yeah, so what – I don't have a great record or really any record at all of angel investing. I have, well, I do have a couple that didn't make it. Um, but, we, we all do. We all have yeah, that of course. list. Yeah. <laughs> of course. But that's not my thing. You know, I like to do things. I like to – Hands-on, fun. operator. Yeah. Well, not an operator, no. I got to have – my partner is usually the CEO okay. who's the operator. I do, I do not operate. But I'm in it enough. I know enough about Marathon, how it works. I know enough about Plasma and APT. We have two companies. We have an oil fields company, too, oil services sector. Uh, We actually um, um, go out into Canada, the oil sands out in western Canada, and improve their drilling process and also fracking. We're now getting involved with cleaning up fracking, which is... Cleaning it up? Yeah. Clean fracking, like clean coal. Yes. Better than clean coal. coal. I've said that with a smirk. I guess the the smirk doesn't show up on the radio. Yeah, no, No. clean coal is... uh, Yeah, no. It's great branding. We're cleaning up fracking. (laughs) Yeah, you you are. You are. Um, Why do you keep doing it? (laughs) Why, Why... you know, why? Well, is this just like the moth to the flame or? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's I, I like it. You know, I like it. What am I going to do? Sit around? I'm not the type that can sit around. No, we've noticed that about you. <laughs> yeah, I, I, so, I mean, I think that leads kind of perfectly into, I mean, the Tarrant Foundation, which has just done some incredible stuff. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Sure. Well, the foundation, the foundation does some things that other foundations do. We have really two areas. We have what we call our strategic initiative, and that's the Tarrant Institute at the University of Vermont, uh, education for middle schools, technology for middle schools. And then we have our what we call our good neighbor program, which gives out money. I mean, we don't just give it, though. We're pretty stringent uh, on who gets it and whether they're qualified or not, because I will tell you, uh, yesterday we were talking about this. We ought to go in the business of exposing some of these foundations and pro- that are just fraudulent. Just in what way, Rich? Fraudulent. Just not not meeting their mission. You mean, or, or? no? Uh, where the money's going? The salaries. I mean, we were looking at one. The, sal- the CEO makes four hundred thousand a year, and they give away like a million dollars. What the heck, you rich? And you watch TV, watch some of the TV ads, the ones that really grab you, really grab you, and they go check what the CEO earns. Oh, I see. Go check what the CEO earns. Yikes. It's really, some of it's so bad. 
And so infuriates me. <laughs> yeah, you're you're on the opposite of that. So in terms of the, the Tarrant Institute in middle schools, you've done a lot with, with STEM and mathematics and, and technologies that Well that it's basically fit. yeah, it's basically um using technology to reinvent middle schools, middle education. And the university it's at the University of Vermont, the Tarrant Institute, run by Penny Bishop. And what they do is they don't just get technology out in their hands. That's how we started 10 years ago. Uh, but really, it's, it's showing teachers and schools how to change the way they teach using technology. For example, uh, a lot more personal learning, uh, a lot of teamwork, very little lecturing, and kids sitting in the seats, which has been a pet peeve of mine because it's so unfair to boys. School systems are not fair to boys. They can't sit in their seats. I don't know why. But these kids now, that, I mean, it's true. They can't. I don't know. It's biology yeah, or something. We have an 11 and 13-year-old. Since yeah. you said that to me, I, I was like, my gosh, yeah. let, let them sit on an exercise ball or at a standing yeah, exactly. desk or about something. That. I mean, that first hit me when I was I was a graduation speaker. No, was a, I was asked to speak at a local high school's honors induction many years ago. I got up to the microphone and I didn't say anything, which always gets an audience nervous. And I said, what am I thinking? Dead silence. Everybody knows what the heck's going on. I said, what am I thinking? One kid raised his head. He said, you're thinking there's more girls than boys. Right like that. He said it. 22 to 7, I'm counting. The next month I went to another school. The numbers were almost identical. Girls were getting all the awards. All the gradu- Go to high school graduation now and look at the 10 girls and three boys up there. And what we're finding is that boys just don't learn sitting in your seat, memorizing, being organized, remembering the dates of when the Magna Carta was signed. They they want to do something. So now they're online looking up the date the Magna Carta was signed and what the importance of. Oh, that's fun because I'm now doing something. I'm going to find something. Now, uh, these are my words. I'm not sure what the uh, uh, what's behind it all, but. We, boys, are, they're not, they're not, when they're on our system, they don't go to the principal's office anymore. Kids, the very first school we did was Milton, very first year, 10 years ago. The number of kids that were in the principal's office the year before were not there anymore. Hmm. Holy cow, this really works. Oh, I so, I mean, that's not, that wasn't the original intent, but that's an observation. Uh, but this thing is, it, Tarrant Institute has grown across the nation. I mean, we don't do schools across the nation, but... The, the folks at UVM that run it, Penny and her uh, gang, I mean, they're speaking at conferences in Texas about so, it. And I mean, providing the, the research and the findings about, and the models yeah. to, to implement. Yeah. And, yeah. Yeah. You know, the education is, is going through such a change. I mean, even here at VSET, between Middlebury, we have School Hack, which is embedded down there, and another company, Proteon, here in Burlington that, that are doing personalized learning plans. Yeah, well, that, that, that whole change. Well, that's so, a legislation now. You have to. Yeah, yeah, and you know, and we're seeing, you know, these folks are seeing opportunity to create and, and go after a market and hopefully export it and, and, and make companies as well as uh, yeah. do good. Yeah. Um, where do you let's talk about UVM Medical Center and University of Vermont? I'm a graduate. Uh, there and me too. How, by, me too. By the way. By the way. Okay. I thought you were saying Mike's. No. <laughs> yeah, but I got a doctorate. Oh, you got a doctorate. Oh, Do- well. Doctor Taren. I apologize. I think it's Doctor of Humane Letters or something, but it's really Doctor of Donations. Doctor. <laughs> 
Uh, whatever it takes. I'm just whatever joking. I love my UEM. It's no, great. Uh, it's they're awesome. They've been great partners and enablers for for VSET, obviously through the years. But just from your perspective, you know, maybe look at the last ten years. Just they seem to have it figured out in ways that that many of us haven't seen. And and do you, do you agree with that? Is the is the momentum directionally right? And I think so. I think you hit it right on the head. Um, uh, I think President Sullivan's just doing a great job. And this, now not everybody would agree, of course, because everybody's, you know, they're under the, the focus of everybody all the time. But I think he's doing a fabulous job. And um, the whole new STEM initiative up there, I mean, that takes guts. And, and to go out and say we're, we have a $500 million fundraising campaign, everybody thought he was nuts. Yeah. Wow. They're going to make it. Yep. They're going to make it. It's amazing. And, you know, anecdotally, Sam, you know, we, we see uh, the provost, Dave Rozowski. Dave is He's, fabulous. Oh, outstanding. He has a pass here. He's my buddy. The, the foundation folks, too. So they His know, wife works with Marathon Health. Oh, oh she's, she's Michelle, fantastic. Right? Yeah, yeah, Michelle and a yeah. great triathlete, too. Yeah. And But they started to cycle through um, this downtown location with some of their – they're visiting professors, maybe prospective alumni they were developing to sort of show some of the, yeah. the activity in Burlington, the, the transfer from lab to commercial market. And, you know, that didn't happen 10 years ago. No. And it, it no. seems like we're trying to play to win, not, I, not just for a headline, but to win. I think you're right. I totally agree. It's very impressive. And, and you know what, to me at least, is a really big deal, and I think it's a big deal across the country, changing the name from Fletcher Allen to the University of Vermont. I mean, I was, I was there when we put it together. I was chairman of UHC when we put Fletcher Allen together. And the docs in the university, people, we did not want Fletcher Allen. We lost the arguments, safe to say. And um, to finally get the university name in that, uh, that's a big deal. It's a huge deal. It's a huge deal, especially around the country. It's recognizable. Recognizable. <laughs> it's a university time. medical center now. Right. It's, it's neat. Uh, this past summer, the uh, UVM Medical Center Innovation Team embedded down here. It's run by this this great woman, Abigail Trudermead, who was actually a VSET fellow about seven years ago when she was getting her MBA. And they had, I don't know, Sam, was it six or so folks here? And, and basically trying to find out new ways to improve either the patient experience, the, the supply chain function on the doctor side of, mm-hmm. up there. And that was, it was so fascinating. Strictly medical school, I mean, practice oriented? Yep. It, it, it had but to But from the doctor side? Yep, correct. And, and how might they find and, innovations or develop ones internally into, into basically change agents, uh, which, which was pretty pretty neat. And for the first time this year, too, uh, a UVM medical student, uh, Al Marchese, uh, got the other medical students and said, hey, we want to learn about entrepreneurship. And for the first time, we actually have faculty permission. Because before- Permission to- To talk about being an entrepreneur while they're being trained in medicine. Because before, we used to have to meet with these entrepreneurial students, like out behind the dumpster in the back door. Or they'd sneak down to the Ferrell Hall building. It's true, right. true stuff because they didn't want repercussion. Yeah. But but now it's been embraced, and you know we've had a couple events uh, with them. So it There's seems so like it's changing. so much going on up there that um, – what, what do you think it should be in, in five or ten years? I mean, the university? Yeah. What, 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 do you have any idea of like, wow, that's a home run? Other than football? Oh, really? You football? No, no, oh. just kidding. Um, 
I don't, I'd have to think about that, yeah, David. Okay. I, I don't know. Yeah, I, so I, I the, don't know either. But I mean, the way, Sta- the way STEM is heading up there, I mean, that's that's the deal right now. I, I think there's going to be a lot more pressure, and politically incorrect to say, I'm say it, on the liberal arts. Um, I think more and more, uh, more and more college kids are going to realize that that's nice, and that's where I had a liberal arts uh, in math, which is unusual. So I think some liberal arts is good, but as long as you have some career stuff with it, and I think that's where most of the colleges are going to going to end up a little of both. Yeah, I mean, we certainly see uh, a Middlebury College, for example, right? You know, you know, very much in the in the in the arts, and 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 they've they are as entrepreneurial as any school yeah, I've ever it. seen. Yes. And, it, and it's truly fantastic. And you see the nimbleness, too, with schools like Champlain College being yes. able to stand up a big data science program, for example. And for the first time at VSET, we actually have a St. Michael student now here. Really? Yeah, Tanner is incredible. He's crushing it. He's, cr- he's like on his third company. Really? So, What's he doing? Oh, he's, um, he's done a lot of awesome stuff. He's a designer, so he's done fashion and stuff like that. Uh-huh. He's done... Um, uh, he has a nonprofit that is bringing um, African kids to come to school in the United States to um, private schools and things like that, and um, a few other things in the works. He's he's constantly. Um, he's in here his... with a new group all the time. Oh, yeah. We have those, you know, those whole wall whiteboards, oh, you know, the yeah, marker yeah, boards, yeah, yeah. and I don't know what he's dreaming up, but <laughs> uh, you know, it's directionally That's inspiring great. and good, uh, which is. Which is kind of kind of yeah. great to see. Yeah, we we, we nice. could use it. Um, I, I guess with the the tech economy here, um, the technology ecosystem, not just in in Burlington, but maybe also including other parts of Vermont. Do you, do you see it steady state? Is it trending up? Trending down? Oh, I um, think it's trending up. Yeah. I definitely think it's trending up. It's trending up all over the country. Thank God, right? What, yeah. what choice do we have, this right? The robots are coming. Start. Yeah. This, yeah, this is how businesses start, and big businesses. And you know better than I do the numbers of employees that small business uh, accounts for versus big business. Um, but I think it's it's in the mindset now of millennials and other groups of younger people that it wasn't in the mindset of ours. Like, like I said, I didn't know anybody even owned a business, no man started it or uh, but now that's what people talk about. It's what kids talk about. I remember my grandkids wanted to, they wanted to uh, start a business, and this is when they're in grade school, selling ice cream to boats out on the lake. No, coffee. They were selling to sell coffee. And so they came into my office and gave me a presentation. And they're like 12, <laughs> 11 and 12 years old. And I said, Okay. This sounds like the apprentice, Rich. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I said, okay, I want, I'll give you the $200 for, and, but I want, uh, 20% of the company. And they looked at each other and they went back and discussed it and came back and said, Grandpa, we're willing to give you 15%. They're like 11. Those 12. are definitely Terrence. Yeah, 12 years old. <laughs> so I said, um, well, no, I want the 20. Otherwise, I'll go to your next door neighbor, Haley, and she, she'll do it with me. And they looked at each other again, and they went and met, and they came back, and they said, Grandpa, Haley's 11. You have to have, be 12 to have a boat license. I said, oh, rats. Oh, <laughs> Quick thinking. That's did their great, research. Huh? Quick thinking. So anyway. Keep they, an eye on them. They went into the business. 
They made some money too. Oh, I, I love it. I, I, our but kids somehow think about that now a lot. Yeah, I, I, one of the things that you know, our boys are uh, eleven and thirteen, and I made one mistake uh, a couple years back. I said, you know, every conversation you have is really a negotiation. You just don't know you're in it. And and Lord help us, we can't we can't decide on where to go to dinner anymore because <laughs> we, we've done that. So that sort of comfort. And knowing that if you know your stuff, you can retort and maybe get to a compromise uh, is is pretty neat. And then honestly, we watched the Shark Tank. Yeah, yeah. just these little yeah. pitches, That's and a they don't like the judges right at all. But but you know how people present their idea that they have passion or not. Did and they that says so much about what's going on. The popularity of that show with young people, very popular, uh, totally popular. And that sends a message that. Wow. Yeah. Sam, how was the pitch night we did here uh, maybe a month or so ago? It was great. I mean, it's there's constantly people that are, you know, pitching an idea, are wanting to share it with people, which is awesome. I mean, we always worry about the people that kind of protect their idea because we tell them, you know, if you don't run this against anyone and, and see what they have to say, you know, you're in for a shock when you're asking for money. <laughs> um, so it's, you know, it's, Ripe right now, yeah, you know, people yeah. are people are yeah. excited about it. Yeah. Into it, it's like yeah. totally. It, yeah, it seems to be, and I don't know whether it's just optimism on being an entrepreneur, or they're scared to death because they can't find a career that they think will last. <laughs> right? I think it's the first. Yeah, do you? I think yeah, it's the former. Going yeah. for it. You're not scared at that age. Yeah. Do you see any other business model for the state of Vermont other than creating entrepreneurs that create income and wealth? No. No. I don't. It's hard to get people to The idea that you're going to go out and recruit companies to move to anywhere, not just Vermont. People don't pick up and move. It's too hard to find the good people, especially technology people. I mean, if we had ever decided we were going to move to New York, we'd lose half our people. They can get jobs anywhere. Right. So I think the mobility, the larger the company is, the less mobile it is. And so to get... Large companies to move here? No, so not going to happen. And uh, I mean, I, I'm hopeful. We have a new administration coming in with Governor Scott. I guess Governor Elect Phil Scott, and you know, who's got some pretty great ideas around entrepreneurship. And um, yeah, I think we're we're hopeful because you know, my calculus is you create wealth quickly one of three ways. Financial speculation, real estate speculation, or entrepreneurship. Oh, what about so, the, I thought you were going to say lottery. Lottery, right. Yeah. <laughs> I, I left out inheritance and lottery and, you know, some I'm of those. Still no, but you're that. right. Yeah. So you're right. let's acknowledge that. And whether you're a farmer, uh, a, a distiller, or a high-tech person. What you're doing here is the most valuable thing that can be done in the state. Oh, well, gosh. Well, thank you. It's the most valuable flashing. thing that can be done in the state. Well, Sam, why don't you hit Rich with our our – our question we ask everybody. This is this is the hard news question. So be it prepared. Is. Yeah. And I I think we should give the option to like mail in an answer too. Like I, I wouldn't be able to think of it on, on the spot, but no pressure or anything. Um Rich, if you could change one thing about Vermont today, and remember it's magic, so it doesn't have to take magic a long wand. Time. Yeah. Uh what would it be? Politics aside. Politics aside, sure. <laughs> What if I could change one thing in Vermont? Yeah, I get the hell out of the health exchange. All right, that is a nightmare. The money we have spent on that stunning, 
it's stunning. I, I hate this. I'll sound arrogant, but three or four IDX programmers could do that in a weekend. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, this. I had a close friend of mine, oh one God. of the it's contractors, a- and he said to me a couple years ago, he's like, now I know how Halliburton felt when they, you know, took those contracts servicing the armed forces overseas and made a, a fortune. Yep. Yeah, how did Halliburton feel? So I hope yeah. they work it out or figure out. Do you think we need to just abandon it and well, join at this point, or muscle through it? I think I think what has to be done is we've got to recognize that Medicare is the answer. And I said this ten years ago when I ran for office, and yeah, we have a Medicare is one giant exchange. It's all there. It is all there. We built an exchange in every state. Right, we right. rebuilt everything. Pricing power. Oh, my yeah. God. It's all in Medicare. And these morons, I mean, they're morons. All they talk about is insurance, too. It's not about insurance. They're the middleman. It's like saying in the automobile business, if you every car in America had an accident last month, the premiums would go up. We'd blame the insurance companies. <laughs> We'd blame the insurance companies because we don't understand and what's really going on and the cost of healthcare that we talked about. It's, it's so stupid what's going on now. It makes me angry. All right, I, can I ask one more question? Happy holidays from VSAT. Yeah, happy holidays from VSAT. <laughs> <laughs> Play the jingle, please. Uh, I, it, where do you see a market opportunity now that, that you're not maybe playing in? But if we, had, if we had three people sitting outside the door here, they had some money, they had a lot of smarts. Where do you see the market just Are you right? talking about for an angel investor? Or no, no, I'm talking about people that want to do guys, entrepreneur. Yeah, I, someone, you know, a lot of times we get people that are looking for, gosh, where do I go to solve a problem? Do you see something that you, you sort of scratched your head and said, that's a good one? No. No? Nothing? Well, I haven't. I haven't done it. I haven't thought about it, but... There's so much. You have to be, I think you alluded to this earlier, ongoing creativity. Like somebody that's creative and says, oh, wait a minute, this is a trucking business. But if we did this and this and this with the cloud, this trucking business would be this. Yeah. I always like to put different things together. Tackle and see what ways. comes out of the other end, how one, they call it synergy, but... More importantly, technology-based synergy. Technology-based synergy. That's great. Because, you know, we, we get so many college clubs and entrepreneur-minded students coming through. And, you know, they have ideas that may not be opportunities, right? And one of the things we, uh, we like to say to them is, hey, it's got to be free and fun. Solve frustration. Look for frustration in the yes. world. A long line. Or why the hell do I have to renew this every six months? That's a good one. Or friction. Why is there paper? Why do we keep copying this paper? Why do we ultimately digitize this paper? And in that, you may find yes, something that's some right. So, like that. so like free, that. free I, friction and, and frustration. I'll tell you one thing that crossed my mind in our situation, but is because what we're doing in the oil patch is reducing the cost of oil tremendously. Um, with the low prices, it's really effective. I had thought about buying an oil company, small oil company. I mean, you have to get big guys to help you. Buying a small oil company and only use the technology for that company. As a competitive edge. As a competitive edge. And I said, I don't want to do that. 
Unless you own the pipelines, too, to get it to the refinery, they'll squeeze you out, right? <laughs> well, you have to get a company that had, that was doing that. But that's just something I thought about. Um, well, Rich, keep... put two things together. Uh, a prolific entrepreneur. Keep dreaming. <laughs> keep going big. And thank you for, for taking our calls when we have folks that could use your advice. It's really uh, made a difference. What you're doing is great, Sam. You guys are doing... Thanks, Rich. Thanks for coming by. Thank you, and Merry Christmas to you and your family. And and that's a wrap. This has been Start Here with Sam and Dave, uh, podcast sharing the stories of active, aspiring, and even the accidental entrepreneur. Series made possible by the Vermont Technology Council and Fairpoint Communications. Follow us on Twitter at VSET. That's V C E T. Thanks for listening. Now let's get back to work.